This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And we are going to talk about the latest news, including all this insanity with the New York Jets new coaching staff with the guy who I refer to as a very big deal because he is one since he owns, operates, edits the whole deal, everything there is to do for JetsInsider.com, our friend Chris Nimbley. What's going on, Chris? Not much. How's it going, Scott? It's going it's going kind yeah. of insane, man. It's going kind of insane between what's going on with Christian Hackenberg and this stuff with the Jets coaching staff. A lot to unpack, so let's start with the coaching staff. Before we get to the three-ring circus aspect of this, let's talk about the new coaches that were added. The coaching staff is now pretty much complete. What do you think of the staff? Anybody jump out at you in particular as being either especially good or bad? Uh, I know. <laughs> Honestly, there's, there's nothing on there that I'm going to jump out and be like, this is great or this is terrible. The, the most interesting uh, one of the, those names without, uh, you know, getting into the circus a- aspect of it uh, or the dysfunctional part of it is the Jim Bob Cooter as the running backs coach to me. Um, the Detroit running game during when he was there was not good um i'm not pinning that on him because you know until they got carry on johnson this year and he had some injuries they didn't really have one to work with the offensive line wasn't great but they the lions during jim bob cooter's time as the oc there and and calling plays were among the lowest in the league at running the ball just uh you know at attempts and all everything so it, it seemed weird to, to have him go back to the running back coach, but maybe that's a good thing Maybe because maybe that's them uh, against is not going to run. I don't know. It, it's just it's weird it, it, that it was a little confusing. But, you know, that for the most part, as far as looking at these other names, you know, everything's fine there. They, nothing's is jumping out at me saying, oh, oh, this is a great job, great hire, you know. I think the – the closest thing you got to that was one of the first ones they made with uh, the O-line hire, Frank Pollock. Uh, and, you know, keeping Denard Wilson was good. Obviously, keeping Brant Boyer was good. But uh, for the most part, I just think you know, these, these are guys, and it's got to depend uh, how good a job those coach, positional coaches do is going to be depend on the talent that they're given to work with at set positions. Yeah, the Jim Bob Cooter thing to me was beyond bizarre because he's never been a running backs coach. And when he did have any semblance of control over the running backs, which is the four years that he was offensive coordinator in Detroit, the team's rankings were terrible. They were in the 30s for three of those years. And then this past year, 23rd, had somebody say to me, well, you got to understand Detroit has bad running game and they never had a good back. And so it's not completely his fault. Okay, fine. But the problem is he has shown no ability to actually be a running backs coach. So all we have to go on is what happened in Detroit. Then I had other people saying, well, he's coming in as an experienced coach and he's really more of an offensive assistant and he's going to work with Darnold and Gase. I don't think that's actually true, but let's say it was. Okay, then hire him as an offensive assistant. 
yeah. hire somebody else as a running backs coach. That was a very strange hire to me, and I think that was one of those where people were praising it just because they know the name Jim Bob Cooter or they like it's the work. It's a great name, too. Oh, it is a fantastic name, and they also think that, well, he did a pretty good job in Detroit overall, or look at what he did with Stafford, and that's all fine, but he's coming in to coach the running backs, so it makes no sense. And the other one for me, Denard Wilson. Listen, I don't hate Denard Wilson as a coach here, whatever, but I also don't understand people doing backflips saying that it was a great move to keep him the secondary hasn't been great under him and I kept hearing how he was going to be the guy to get the most out of Tremaine Johnson and we saw what happened with Tremaine Johnson this past year Joe Blewett looked at the film all year and he can tell you right now that a lot of what Denard Wilson was telling these D-backs to do wasn't working he didn't really make any adjustments so I'm not really sure why people are doing backflips over it I guess it's okay, but the idea that keeping him was somehow on par with keeping Brant Boyer, who actually did do an excellent job this past year, is a little puzzling to me. But I'll tell you what's way more puzzling, Chris, and that is this whole situation with Greg Williams' family and Adam Gase's family. So I'm going to throw this out there, and I want you to break it down. As I understand it, as Rich Zimini from ESPN was reporting, Greg Williams' son, Blake, is somebody that Greg wanted to bring in as a position coach. Adam Gase did not want that. An argument ensued, and eventually they had to compromise on Blake being on the staff, but not as a position coach. On top of this, Adam Gase's father-in-law is Joe Vitt, who was on the Saints staff when Greg Williams was there during Bounty Gate. Okay, that's a little weird, but here's where it gets weirder. Joe Vitt was forced on Greg Williams now to be on his staff after... When they were there during Bounty Gate, he testified against Williams and called him a fraud and a fake and a bad person and all these other things. Now they have to face each other every single day at work. I kind of wish that this was going to be on hard knocks, and I say kind of because as entertaining as it would be, I feel like it has a chance to continue to embarrass the New York Jets nationally, so I sort of don't want it to be on hard knocks, but Chris unpack all of this to me because i just can't wrap my head around it it seems like something that would have been written in an onion article yeah uh let's start with that where you were ending there if any other team had this situation you would love to watch it on hard knocks you don't want to watch it on hard knocks because you know what the national attention and media will do with it being the jets but just look at last year how the greg williams Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson dynamic turned out on Hard Knocks and how it played out right in front of our eyes and everyone watching those Hard Knocks episodes was like, oh yeah, this is not going to work out for anyone. And all those guys are gone uh, now and Greg and Blake having to go and then you know him losing that and Gates bringing him on but not in the full capacity. That's enough of a potential issue right there on its own. Uh, and this isn't somebody, we're talking about Greg Williams here. We're not talking about somebody who is, you know, known for their patience and their calmness and their ability to work through things. No, Greg Williams is going to blow a gasket from the time to time. He likes to make things a mess from time to time. Gase talked about it, talking about how there's going to be all this trash talk during training camp and how they're going to be louder than the players and like okay cool that can be good i'm i'm gonna enjoy watching that uh, the sidelines covering training camp but i don't know that that that's seems dangerous it seems like you're taking a, a risk there with somebody as combustible as greg williams it's going to go and create this dynamic and then 
the Joe Vitt thing is just nuts. Absolutely nuts. Greg, Greg Williams was trying to pin stuff on Joe Vitt, saying that he was the one in control of the money, and this was a standard practice type thing that before he even got there, Joe Vitt's calling him a fraud and a liar, talking about how he's you know has mental health issues and he wasn't taking his medication and this and that, and like now you're going to come and you're going to put them on the same staff after all these years. Uh, these are old, older men should be mature enough to be able to, you happened a while ago, move on and go forward from there and still work. But, I mean, we haven't seen a lot in Greg Williams' history that suggests that he doesn't hold on to uh, grudges like that from the past. So maybe it won't be a problem. Maybe they will work everything out and they'll be able to move on fine. And This isn't to suggest that this is an absolute no-way-around-it disaster. But it has all the recipes for a disaster already, right off the bat. And then Adam Gase is married to Joe Vitt's daughter. So Joe Vitt is probably winning any type of power struggle, argument type of situation between him and Greg Williams there. It's just, it's just an it's interesting, crazy dynamic that just seems set up to make it like, at least, not saying it's going to be a dysfunctional mess. But it's making it as easy as possible for it to possibly be a dysfunctional mess. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This whole thing has the potential to blow up in everybody's faces and be so explosive. But as Michael Nanny had joked, if it's going to be an explosion, at least it's going to be an entertaining one, if nothing else. So if you're going to go down in flames, go down in style. This could work. But as you said, Chris, it has all the makings of some seriously huge problems. And that's not really what you would want going into the beginning of this relationship, or at least I would think that's not what you would want. Hopefully, like you said, they'll be able to turn the page just like Christian Hackenberg is trying to turn the page now in his NFL career. He made his debut in the AAF yesterday. We heard all this talk about how David Lee, who's a former quarterback whisperer in the NFL, was working with Hackenberg. He fixed his motion. He's going to be a different player, so on and so forth. He went out. He played in the AAF yesterday, and the results were basically what you would have expected in the first place, right? 
Yeah, you know, I watched the, the game. Um, I was telling you off air that I watched all the games, and uh, you know, I, I started watching with focused, and then as the games went on, I started to check out a little bit more and more, and watching a little bit less and less. But that, at first, I'm watching Hackenberg, and I was like, "Yep, this looks exactly like the Christian Hackenberg I've seen it since I've been watching him." Um, he's, he's the same exact player. Uh, you know, you talk about David Lee, the, this whole idea of a quarterback guru, we, how many of these guys do this and they work with, they have way more failures on their resumes than they do of actually turning guys around to do, uh, into, you know, a reclamation job of a quarterback situation. So we always hear about, oh, what the great work the quarterback guru did. And we heard that in the offseason every year with Hackenberg here leading up to the draft the year after. And it's more often than not, it's the same exact quarterback that comes back. And I've heard other quarterbacks uh, talk about this in the past is you can go and you can work on your fundamentals. You can work on the tools and everything in the offseason when you're you know just doing drills and you don't have guys flying at you. And you can fix those things. In those moments, but when you're in a game and things break down, you're going to go back to your instincts and you're always going to go revert back to those same bad mechanics, those same uh, bad tendencies that you have. So you, this is something that has to be ingrained in quarterbacks at a young age so that it can become their in, instinctual reaction to things. And once you, I don't know what the number is on what the age is. I haven't broke, done studies to do this, but the, and I'm sure it's a little bit different on the maturation process for everyone. Once you reach a certain age, you it can't keep teach that old dog new tricks. You can go and, and when it's calm, iron it out. But you saw it yesterday. The you know the play in this AAF is there's a couple of good players you can look at and be like, hey, maybe that guy's got a chance to make a roster, an NFL roster. But these are mostly guys who are not going to ever play in the NFL. And Christian Hackenberg didn't look any better at any point in time than I've seen him at training camp or, you know, in college in the last couple of years either. So he's exactly who he is, and I just don't see that changing for him. Bearing in mind that it was one game, and obviously things can change and he can prove. I told you this off the air, Chris. I feel like at some point somebody should write the searching for Bobby Fisher column about Christian Hackenberg's freshman season at Penn State. If you're unfamiliar, searching for Bobby Fisher was a movie back in the 90s, a really good one, too, with Joe Montana in it. And the whole story was about this young kid, Josh Waitskin, who I think was a real kid. It was based on his actual autobiography and how he was coming through the ranks as a child chess prodigy. And they thought he was going to be the next Bobby Fisher, who was was one of the greatest chess players of all time. Of course, he later went on to be kind of crazy, excommunicated. I think he ended up dying in another country because he ran away. He was kind of nuts. He was spreading all sorts of conspiracy theories towards the end of his life. But anyway, enough of me rambling about searching for Bobby Fischer. The reason I'm saying this is because the whole idea was the same. They were searching for the next Bobby Fischer, the ghost of Bobby Fischer past, if you will. So all these kids that were chess prodigies, they kept going, oh my God, this could be the kid. This could be Bobby Fischer. And then 
ultimately whoever it was would not turn out to be Bobby Fischer because Bobby Fischer was an anomaly. He was a very rare commodity. He was somebody who was just a chess genius and he was going to be almost impossible to ever find the next Bobby Fischer. Well, it's kind of the same thing with Hackenberg, but in a different sense. And what I mean is not that Hackenberg's freshman year was the greatest thing ever, but that it was an anomaly. It was something that you're not going to find again. It was a good year. It wasn't a great year. And we talked about that off the air too, Chris, that people tend to overrate Christian Hackenberg's freshman season when it was just good and not great but the idea that all of these people David Lee and Jeremy Bates and Mike McCagnin and on and on down the line are going to somehow fix Hackenberg and they're going to find that guy that was there that freshman year at Penn State at some point people have to stop believing this myth right yeah you would think so and the you know the comparison the analogy you were making to search for Bobby Fisher is a really good one because Hackenberg's entire life has been about him becoming an NFL starting quarterback. He has been taking these private lessons, working with quarterback gurus forever for like, this isn't a new thing. His dad had him set up doing this stuff in off seasons. And basically his entire life was it either. He's going to be a great NFL quarterback or he's going to be a failure. There was no in between for him. And all this stuff, and I think a lot of that is people look at it and say, oh, he's gotten all this private help. And But I think sometimes that's going to work against players. You're going to go back to your college team, and you're going to get different stuff, uh, coaching t- uh, techniques, and want different things than the quarterback guru is telling you. And, uh, you know, that freshman year, again, people – it was a good freshman year, and if you saw him continuing to progress, you could see how it could be. But I never watched him that freshman year and was like, yes, this is a guy who's going to be the guy. And it just, I just, I, you know, eventually people are going to have to give up on it. And eventually people are going to have to stop saying, oh, this guy is tall. He's got a strong arm. And that's good enough that I say it all the time. Arm strength is the most overrated quality in the quarterbacks. You don't need a huge cannon. You just need a strong enough arm. The huge cannons tend to get you in more trouble. I will, I'm more interested in a quarterback that can throw with touch. That is not something that you tip quarterbacks develop later in life. Um, so the, he's going to get some more chances here, but eventually people are going to look around and be like, all right, yeah, we were all wrong. We all, uh, Chris Packberg ain't it. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I think at some point they've got to give up the ghost I don't know when that's going to be, but maybe the AAF is the final stop on the Christian Hackenberg train. We shall see. But one guy who used to play for the Jets that I think may have a promising future in football, or at least more promising 
than Christian Hackenberg. And an actual chance to come back to the league is Jalen Marshall, the former wide receiver from Ohio State. The Jets had him as an undrafted free agent out of college. He actually had some moments for the team, but then injuries and other needs took over and he ended up getting released and never really caught on anywhere for any kind of length of time. But he did well in the AAF in his first game. He had a couple of catches for over 50 yards and a touchdown. So he's a guy that I think you may want to look at. Not that he's going to be any kind of difference maker in the NFL, but I think the AAF might be his opportunity to punch his ticket back into the league. Yeah, he's he's the exact type of player that the AFF is designed for and set up for. Him, another receiver, Quentin Patton, somebody who I loved coming out of college. And, you know, he, he signed with the Jets real briefly and then had the injury and whatever. But the Jalen Marshall thing is funny and interesting to me because I remember him coming out of when he declared for the draft. I was like, ah, you probably shouldn't do that. You, you should probably have waited another year. The Jets uh, signed him as an undrafted free agent. And I was like, all right, this is at this point, it's worth a shot. And then I became his biggest fan during training camp, watching him. He was super impressive uh, that training camp. I remember talking to Brandon Marshall about him all the time. And Brandon was like, this kid is legit. Like, he is a, a player. He is, you know, he plays hard. He plays much bigger than his size. He's a tough. He's so quick and shifty. And there was a lot to like about him. And he absolutely lit up that training camp. It was, uh, you know, one of the stars almost at each and every practice. And then it just never clicked during the season. He had some injuries. He had that uh, PED suspension, I believe it was. Um, and he had some other things. But, like, he he can contribute on an NFL team as a depth receiver, as a special teams player. There's still something there, but you you know you're not going to get him to be at, you know on one of your two or three starting receivers or anything like that. But it's players like that that can show and that they still have some value that they can carve out a role, the middle bottom of the roster stuff spot, and prove that they can help a t- NFL team. I think kickers and punters that could help too because guys that maybe went undiscovered or a guy like Nick Falk, former Jets kicker, guy who kicked for the Cowboys for many years too, who if he can show that he can still do it in the AAF might get a shot in training camp with some NFL team. He was kicking for the AAF yesterday. So I think that there are some guys that could benefit from this league. Unfortunately, I don't think Christian Hackenberg is going to end up being one of them. No, But I will say this. Jalen Marshall has a chance to come back to the league, as we said, 26 years old, could potentially be somebody that could catch on as a third, fourth, or even fifth wide receiver, maybe even as a return man, something along those lines, because he's younger and he has some upside. But there's talk of the Jets getting a guy who is not young and probably doesn't have any upside. That, of course, Danny Amendola, who is going to be 34 at some point this year. There has been some talk about this. Our old friend Carl started it, I think, by tweeting out that Danny Amendola would be a good match for the Jets because he's a Gase guy. Now, from my understanding of this, and you go back and listen to Locked On Dolphins with Joe Shad on January 3rd. It's right there. You go to LockedOnDolphins.com and find it. My friend Travis Wingfield interviewed Joe Shad, and Joe Shad made it sound a lot like Danny Amendola is the exact opposite of an Adam Gase guy, that he would love to have gotten away from Adam Gase. In fact, to the point where he shut down any discussion of it, that is my understanding. Now, even if that is not true, and he is a Gase guy, again, 34 years old, often injured, I don't see the value here. The thing that made this more of a story, other than 
Carl just tweeting something is that then a Patriots writer jumped on that. And on top of that, Jamal Adams then quote tweeted that Patriots writer and said, come on in, brother. So I love you, Jamal Adams. All four of you going out and trying to recruit Le'Veon Bell. But when it comes to middle of the roster, guys, maybe those are decisions that are best left to the guys in the front office as much as we don't necessarily trust them. Chris, there can't be anything to this, right? The Jets can't possibly be wanting to go after a 34-year-old, often injured slot receiver, right? Well, the, the one thing I will say is, you know, whenever a coach is hired and he was a coach at the previous spot, whether he was a coordinator or the head coach, they do typically, historically, uh, history tells us that they like to bring guys that have played for them to coach, uh, to help coach the other players, to help, you know, the player to player learn the system. Adam Amendola was there for a year with him, though. How much is, so like, even if we're ignoring all the other stuff, uh, how much is that really going to do? I don't know. I, and like you said, 34-year-old, often injured receiver. Uh, they need, if they're adding more receivers, they need to upgrade the, the talent there. They like they have the two and three uh, receiver covered either way, however you want to flip it with Quincy or Robbie, but they need a number one receiver. They don't need a Danny Amendola there. And I haven't looked too far into how they got along as much as I did with like, Juwan James, who, you know, is an offensive tackle who's a free agent who is definitely not going to be following Adam Gase. I haven't looked into it as much with Daniel Amendola because 34-year-old uh, veteran often receive, uh, hurt receiver. Uh, but then, yeah, with Jamal Adams, like, you know, if they sign a, a Danny Amendola, go ahead and welcome him in. But you might want to chill on the recruiting of anybody and everybody. And we've already seen some of the fans are getting a little sick of this. And if, if his recruiting tactics don't work out for the Jets' benefits, you could definitely see some of the fans uh, getting a little sick of Jamal's uh, recruiting so openly. Yeah, and like I said, I'm all for Jamal Adams trying to help bring in Le'Veon Bell because use whatever you got. Ultimately, it's going to be the money that brings Le'Veon Bell here if he comes to the Jets. It's not going to be Jamal Adams, but if Jamal Adams' pitch helps at all, if there's some sort of close situation where the Jets are offering similar money to somewhere else and he feels comfortable with Jamal Adams and Adams sells him on the idea of coming here and helping him win, great, awesome. But like you said, when it comes to middle-of-the-roster acquisitions, I just don't want it to be one of those deals where now Jamal Adams is on Twitter and he's quote-tweeting some scouting report of a fourth- or fifth-round player and going, ooh, this guy looks good. Then you're starting to get out of hand. And I get that. Who cares? He's just a guy that's voicing his opinions. But at a certain point, you also have to understand he is Jamal Adams. So what he says carries some weight and garners some attention. And then there's some heat on the front office. There were people that were saying that it's bad for Jamal Adams to be speaking up. When it comes to something like Le'Veon Bell, no, because Bell is a great right. player. And there's really no question that the Jets should be in on that anyway. But when it comes to guys like Danny Amendola... And I'm going to say this one more time just to pound the point home. An often injured, soon-to-be 34-year-old slot receiver, 
that's not something that Jamal Adams should be jumping into as far as I'm concerned. So let's see how this works out. But like you said, if they don't land Bell and he starts trying to get in there and championing guys like Amendola on the regular, this could be something that blows up in his face. I'm sure he doesn't really care. But at the same time, it's not something that somebody who's a young player and an emerging star should really be wanting to deal with at this point. Yeah. And like, listen, I, I, I know Quincy and Robbie Anderson enough to know that Jamal sitting there saying, hey, Antonio Brown, come play with us. Is he going to upset or offend them? They're going to be like, yeah, Antonio Brown is really good. We could use him. But then sit there being like, hey, come on over, Danny Amendola. Yeah, they might be like, wait a, wait a second. Like, what? <laughs> like, are you putting him on our, like, that might make some, and this is, you know, this is, that might make him feel some type of way. So he's got to be careful about how he approaches this stuff. Yeah, no question. When you have a huge platform, you have to be careful with how you use it. The same way, Chris, that you have to be careful with the way that you use your platform as a very big deal at <laughs> JetsInsider.com. So, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate you talking about the latest news, including the coaching insanity with me. For anybody that doesn't know where to find you and your very big deal work, why don't you go ahead and let them know? Yeah, it's JetsInsider.com, of course, and you can find me at Twitter, at CNimbly. And yeah, <laughs> that's I ran out. Of, I ran out of steam right there. I, I thought I was building up, going somewhere else. I ran out. Well, I'll finish it for you then. Go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter. Go to JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's turn on the Jets digital and turn on the Jets.com.